This is the place that the UFC and Bellator come to for the inside scoop of what's going on in the world of mixed martial arts. The doors of the gym are opened up just for you. We are the MMA Insiders. Here are your hosts, Jason Floyd of the MMA Report and the president of Combat Sports Media, Sam Kaplan. It is episode 101 of the MMA Insiders podcast, and we got a little bit of a special episode for you coming up here on this edition as later on the show, myself and Sam Kaplan will be talking to Jim Ross. We'll get his take on what's going on in MMA, have a little fun time with JR. But Sam, how is it going, man? It's going well, but I just want to let everyone know, if you thought that I skewered Rob Macy a couple episodes back, you haven't seen anything yet. And, uh, you know, we were hoping to have Rob on, on this edition of the show, but unfortunately there was some scheduling issues because, you know, uh, you know, A, for me, on you know Wednesday night of this week, I did not expect that I would be uh, having to work an NFL game, but that is going to happen as the Bucks and Redskins game got moved from Thursday to Wednesday due to the tropical storm that's that's in the Gulf of Mexico. So uh, we look forward to, to talking to Rob here, hopefully uh, next week here on the podcast, because uh, I have a lot of interesting questions for Rob, and I'm interested to hear his take. I, I was listening to Jeff Boris on Sean Wheelock, Ben Askren, and, and Joe Warren's podcast. N- nothing really new uh, that Jeff Boris hasn't said out there, but uh, it was interesting to kind of hear Ben Askren and Joe Warren, two fighters who obviously are not in the UFC, but them talking about uh, the fighters union. Because one of the things that I'm interested to hear from Rob Macy is why he wants to be an association as opposed to a union. That'll be a good question. That's something we can definitely get into. I think that it's it's looking very good that we'll have Rob for next week's show. This show is pretty packed anyway, so I, I think it's kind of a blessing in disguise that we'll have him for next week. He, we were scheduled to have him on this week. He's got a lot going on, as I'm sure everyone could imagine. He's got some, uh, I think he's got some depositions going on that he's getting prepared for. So uh, we are planning on having him on next week's show, and uh, that will be a very, very interesting s- segment. you got to hand it to, to Rob for, for being willing to yeah. come on. Along the lines of fighter unions and fighters associations, I, I've got to give a, a nice shout-out to the Show Money podcast episode number 12 dropped last week i was able to listen to that a lot of good stuff a lot of great analysis by paul jason and john john you know his analysis is he comes up with a lot of angles that a lot of people do not consider and they made a really good point on that show that it you know Jeff Boris may have got himself into hot water by reaching out to ari emanuel this early because the point that they made is you cannot claim representation of a group of people that you haven't been elected or chosen to represent. Mm-hmm. And Jeff Boris, maybe he will be, maybe there will be a union and maybe he will be elected to the executive director, but we're nowhere near that stage. So that was a very interesting point raised by the guys. So if uh, you've not listened to show money 12, with the bloody elbow crew, you make you got to make sure you get a yeah. go and listen to that. They they need to get that show on iTunes, but uh, you can go to bloodyelbow.com, do a search for Show Money, and that'll come up, and you can watch it on uh, YouTube. Just saying, fellas, if you need Radio Influence's help, we can we can make that happen for you. If you're looking for some podcasting needs, RadioInfluence.com is where you want to go. But Sam, you mentioned we have a lot to talk about. We got to talk about Rory McDonald signing with Bellator. Wow. Also, 
Uh, did not see that coming. Yeah, did not. You know, I, I we both said on the show we both felt that, that Roy was using Bellator, but he's also there. I, that's what I mean. I don't know about you, but that's what I was told. Yeah, that's that's kind of what the feeling was. So we got to get into that. Also, we got to talk about what's going on with Andrew Whitney and Titan FC. Marcin Held is now a UFC fighter. What happened last weekend, or last Friday night with Bellator 160 in the main event of Benson Henderson and Patricio Pitbull. Also got to talk about who is on the board of the Association of Combative Sports Commissions. This is the new commission that is being uh, formed kind of to basically be a rival uh, of the ABC. We'll talk about the fact of who's on that and who's not on the board uh, of commissions there, a uh, board directors Our players there. on that commission. Yeah. Heavy hitters. Heavy and hitters. Uh, also at the end of the show, we're going to get into some of your questions and comments. But, Sam, we got to start off talking about Rory McDonald going to Bellator. I, I did not see this one coming, Sam. I you know, you know, we we had talked about it. You know, for multiple episodes, we we both kind of based on our feelings and what we had heard that you would see that he was using Bellator to get the most out of money. But uh, you know, you know, hey, kudos to Roy McDonald and his management to to get an offer from Bellator that the UFC didn't want to touch. Well, even Scott Coker at one point I think was a little pessimistic in the media when asked about Roy McDonald and really tried to play that down the possibility of signing him and. My sources all throughout the process said it looked like Rory McDonald and his management was using Bellator simply as leverage to garner a bigger offer from the UFC. And you know what? It may have well, very uh, may, may have very well been true because we've seen it many times in pro sports. Uh, an agent or manager will use a franchise as leverage, but if that offer is the best offer, sometimes they end up going in that direction. I mean, it, it's happened multiple times. We've seen it, and I think that is what was the case. I think they intended to use Bellator, but when it got down to the 11th hour, Bellator had the better offer. And if you're playing that game to get Roy McDonald, get your client the best offer, and Bellator has that best offer, you've got no choice but to take it. I mean, I, I mean that doesn't always happen in MMA. I've seen a lot of agents and managers sell out their client and not take the best, you know, and try to find a way for them not to take the best offer so they can keep them with the UFC and protect their outside interests that are in addition to that fighter, especially managers and agencies that have 20-plus fighters. The last thing that you want to do is piss off the UFC because even if you take care of that one client and you get that client the best deal, they, if the UFC perceives you as having not done business the way that they wanted you to do business, you can suddenly find yourself cut off from the promotion. So I've seen a lot of agents and managers sell out their clients. Clearly, that did not happen this time. Roy McDonald's agency and management, they did what was in his best interest, not what was necessarily in their best interest. You know, there's a couple of things to kind of mention here. I did have to, Sam, chuckle a little bit in this uh, during the post-fight press conference for Roy was taking questions from the media, and he talked about the UFC being boring. And there's a lot of people out there that might say the personality of Roy McDonald is not exactly exciting out there. But, you know, one of the things that he came up is it, it almost seemed like that maybe he, he felt the UFC just didn't push him but you know enough and get him maybe more popular. But the way I look at this, Sam, and maybe you look at this different, you know, from being on, on the promotion side. To me, it's a two-way street. Yes, the, the the promotion has to promote the fighter, but the fighter also has to sell themselves out there to the media and to the fans. Absolutely, and the promotions have limited resources, so they're going to invest those resources where they think they, you know, where they believe it's optimal. They're not going to dump a ton of money 
promoting someone that isn't going to play the game. And they're going to take that money and take those resources, that camera time, and they're going to put it into the guys that they know will maximize and get the best use out of those resources. And I think Roy McDonald coming out and being anti-UFC, I think it's ill-advised. I think it's very ill-advised when these fighters leave the UFC and or leave Bellator and they trash the promotion. Just be happy that you got a better deal and don't say anything because the reality is this. We don't know what Rory McDonald's deal looks like. It could be for two fights. It could be for ten fights. It could be for three fights. It could be for four fights. We don't know how many fights Ben, ben Henderson has left on his Bellator deal, but he's handled himself as a professional. He made a business decision. He didn't rip the UFC on the way out. And, you know, Ben Henderson's in a position now where when he becomes a free agent again, he potentially could have Bellator and the UFC going up against one another once again. Whereas you trash the UFC, you try to make them look bad, and the UFC sours on you when you become a free agent with Bellator again and you want to hit that open market and drive your off, your offers up there uh, even higher. If you're not getting any kind of calls back from the UFC, good luck trying to get a raise from Bellator. So, you know, unsolicited advice to fighters out there that are leaving one promotion for another. Even if you had a bad experience with that promotion, it does not behoove you from a business standpoint to rip them on the way out because you may have use for them. You may not think you have use for them in the in the moment, but two, three, four years from now, you do not know. So do not burn bridges that you don't need to burn. Yeah, that's just a business 101. Don't burn bridges because you just never know when, when you're going to run across that person. You know, the other thing that, that jumped out to me, Sam, that – That, that Bellator really, could be sold, get sold to the UFC, yeah, and then what? Yeah, but here was the other thing that, that really jumped out to me was Roy McDonald saying, you know what, I don't plan to fight till 2017 – and mentioned the summer of 2017. <laughs> you know, he, he talked I about. I don't think Scott Coker's going to be okay with that. No, one. I mean, you know, he talked about this has to do with making sure his nose, you know, is cleared, and and he talked about that he rushed it back in there into his last fight, and you know, and the other thing I I, I was thinking about this because, and I hear this from fans, and look, I think it's absolutely great that fires are getting overpaid, but the, this is the honest truth, Sam. Bellator has to pay for every UFC guy that becomes a free agent. I mean, if Donald Cerrone would have hit the open market, they were going to have to pay Donald Cerrone a ton of money. Now he has signed, you know, a contract extension with the UFC. Uh, he had one fight. Eight fights. Yeah, he had one fight left on his deal. They added seven more fights that, to that contract, and I would expect that Bellator would have made a run, uh, you know, for Donald Cerrone. But you know, Bellator knows they have to overpay for any guy that, that hits that open market. But the business part of me, Sam, goes, okay, you know you paid well in the six figures to bring in Rory McDonald over to Bellator. How do you make money on Rory long-term? I mean, obviously, you can go to Canada. Now, can Rory push enough tickets to where that deal – You know, and that's where I start to look at when you start talking about the amount of guys that, that Bellator has signed, the, the, you know, the, the former UFC guys – how do you make money long-term off those fighters? That was a situation that Bjorn Rebney wrestled with constantly when I was there at Bellator. It's not that he didn't want to go after bigger-name talent. It just – he – you know, Bjorn was smart in that before he started Bellator, he studied all the other promotions. He studied their business models. And, you know, there were certain times where I thought we should have spent more for certain guys. And – and I, and I would use the term, we've got to overpay for this guy. You know, we've got to pay a premium 
just to get him. And Bjorn would always come back with, look at what happened to Affliction. Look at Affliction. We don't want to be Affliction. They started signing guys, overpaying them, paid a premium just to get them, just to have the right to say that they had a, this fighter now on their roster. They didn't make their money back, didn't even come close, and they didn't even last three shows. That was always a example that he brought up. It's not that he didn't want to bring in bigger name talent. He was concerned about the value and making sure that we weren't putting ourselves in a position where we didn't – where we couldn't monetize what we were bringing in. And I, I think that, that there may have been some philosophical differences where Bjorn was looking at Bellator as an all-around business, where, and whereas Spike TV was looking at it as a TV property. And I think that there could have been some issues there philosophically, both parties at odds there. And, and that's you know a guy like Rory McDonald – He's a perfect example of that. I'm sure Bellator is very excited that they have him. I'm sure the new regime is on board with this. But when you don't have pay-per-view, when you don't have a lot of merchandising, uh, whether it be shirts and licenses like action figures and things of that nature, there aren't a lot of revenue streams in Bellator right now. The the, the main revenue stream into Bellator isn't really even ticket sales. It's ad, ad dollars. And, you know, how much... How many ads do you need to sell at what price in order to make sure that your fight cards are breaking even and or aren't losing money? And, I, you know, we don't know exactly what Roy McDonald is making per fight. We don't know what Bellator charges per ads and what their inventory looks like per hour. But from a very distant perspective, you know, I would say that they're currently losing money on just about every show that they do. And I'm sure that. There's an ancillary value to Spike TV. They they you know see it as a write off because they like it as a television property. They think it adds value to Spike TV as a t- live television sports property. But in the balance sheets, which is what you know Viacom will ultimately look at, you know the 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 incoming and and the outgoing dollars. If that doesn't you know start to you know become more congruent and if there's you know a gap there that exists potentially that's when you have people start to lose their jobs and you know kevin k is very supportive and he's on board he's on the bellator train till the end but we've said it numerous times on this show even kevin k has a boss and it's going to be interesting to see at a certain point, if they start to really crunch the numbers and figure out whether or not this is worth it to them, whether an, the ROI makes sense. And that's why signings like Rory McDonald, they're boom or bust. It, there's no in between. Either this is either these signings are going to propel them to a whole new level that you know we didn't necessarily think was possible, or it could be hasten their demise. It's one or the other. There's no middle ground here. I mean, look, you Bellator just landed one of the top five welterweights in the world. If you're, uh, you know, in the Andre Koreshkov camp, you're absolutely loving this signing because, yeah. you know, Koreshkov and his entire team, they're putting themselves in a great situation to fight out their current contract. And all of a sudden, you have a win against Benson Henderson. You have a win against against Roy McDonald. You put your, yourself in a great situation. But I was thinking about this over the past couple of days. And look, I, I think that Bellator is obviously they're doing some great things for fighters. But then I, I was I was thinking about it. and I go, what is Bellator's identity? You know, while you sit there and look, going out and getting a Roy McDonald is great. But you look at over the last six months, 
two of their best 155ers are no longer in the promotion. They're in the UFC. They grant Marcin Held his release, and he's immediately signed by the UFC. And that's why I kind of like, I sit there and go, you know, look, Marcin Held, is he going to be a, a big ratings mover? No, he's not. Can Roy McDonald potentially be that? Potentially. I mean, time is going to tell to see what, what he can draw when the time comes when he steps into the Bellator cage. But I guess I go back and forth of, of trying to figure out what the identity of Bellator is right now. And, are, you know, you know when you were a part of that regime, I think you it was, it was a sports property. And I guess the best way I'd probably describe it is it's an entertainment property at this point. Right. It's just been run, run differently. They're not running it as a traditional fight promotion business. It's being run as a TV property. And all that matters to Spike at the end of the day is ratings. You know, they don't necessarily care about, you know, brand recognition and brand reputation within the, the field of sports. It, it doesn't matter to them at, because that doesn't make them money. You know, Bellator was using that sport-based philosophy. It was a hardcore MMA, hardcore sport, you know, property with a lot of athletic integrity. But what did that get Spike TV at the end of the day? The ratings were, you know – marginal at best and there wasn't a ton of growth going on at that time so they changed their philosophy that it's more of a tv property and that they if it gets them ratings they're open to that yeah you know um you know it's it's kind of interesting to see what bellator is doing i mean it's you know i think one of the things that it seems like we don't hear a lot of is you know guys who are currently in bellator signing new deals it comes out after the fact that Georgie Carahanian is a free agent, and you know it looks like we've probably seen the last of Bubba Jenkins in Bellator. Um, you know, and I don't know what really the market is out there for Georgie Carahanian right now. Um, you know, maybe he, he ends up maybe take trying to get a, a short term deal with, with Bellator and, and to put himself in a better situation there. Um, you know, and, and you look at 145, and, and I know you had a you know, and by the way, uh, should note the ratings actually were pretty good. For yes. Bellator 160 was they their were. best rating since March uh, in the preliminary ratings as a recording of this podcast, 725,000 viewers, which was the most uh, since back uh, at Bellator 151, which was the Caldwell and uh, Warren fight. So, you know, I, I would expect that. Uh, and that's in know, August. That's an impressive rating because it's August. Yeah. And August is a very tough month. So for them to draw that kind of rating, that's that's impressive. And I would expect that, uh, you know, when the numbers come out for the, the Henderson and Pitbull fight that, it's going to be well over a million. Anyone who follows Bellator ratings like I do, Patricio Pitbull is a guy that always has yeah. has been a strong ratings, uh, you know, fighter for for Bellator, not just here in the United States, but also down in, in Brazil. And 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 going back, and I didn't watch that fight live, so I already knew what happened. Sam, when I was going back and, and I watched that fight uh, back, one of the things that just stuck out to me, and look, I scored the first round. For Patricio Pitbull, and to me it was yes, Benson Henderson was you know had cage control, but I went back and looked at the stats, Sam. He only landed six total strikes. And Ben Henderson has never been an action fighter. He's had a very methodical fight style for the vast majority of his career. But I would have to say, in his last two fights in Bellator. You know, it looks like he's losing some zip on his fastball, and maybe it's just a, 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 an aberration, and we're making too much out of it. But he has not been impressive since crossing over to Bellator, not in the least. And you know that was had the makings of of a, of a 
another loss for him in Bellator. I mean, if, if Patricio Pitbull does not get injured, there's a very realistic possibility that Ben Henderson opens his Bellator career 0-2. And yeah. that would have been a devastating loss, losing to a small 45er. Yeah, you know, it was, uh, you know, it's just kind of, I mean, and by the way, the co-main event was a great fight between oh, uh, yeah. Derek Anderson and Syed Awad. Yeah. If, if anybody hasn't gone on that, I highly recommend going to, to the Bellator website. You know, they put all the videos up there. You definitely want to check uh, that fight out there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, you know, I was I was surprised it went down that way. I, I did reach out to, to Pitbull's team and everything, you know, does sound, uh, you know, does sound good on that front. Obviously, it's going to be a recovery time here. But, Sam, you know, since I wasn't watching this fight live, I didn't see some of the tweets, but you kind of responded to some people who were kind of throwing some stuff out there about this fight. Yeah, and the people reading my responses were kind of perplexed. They're saying, well, who's saying it's it was worked or that was fixed? All I know is in my timeline, right when that happened, I saw a lot of tweets from people questioning the legitimacy of that, the way that fight ended. And, you know, having known Patricio Pitbull, I was the guy that signed him to Bellator. I'm one of his biggest fans, and I've gotten to be around him. The dude is, you know, he's a warrior, like I, like an ancient warrior. That type a, of soul is, is, you know, in his body. They're you old school not, fighters. No, I mean, he's, but he's like not just old school, like ancient Roman warrior type guy that's yeah. how that's how serious he is and intense he is when it comes to competition i mean i the, you know being around him at times reminded me of what it was like when i was around fedor and, and megumi fuji and just like on a different level when it comes to their gameness and he's not going there, there's i don't think there's enough money in the world that you could give him to throw a fight and i knew when you know it, it wasn't immediately apparent to me that you know, he was injured, but once I saw it go down, I knew it was serious because there's a difference between being hurt and being injured. And Patricio is going to fight hurt 10 out of 10 times. Injured is when, you know, you're not just hurt, but there's something structurally impacting your body that does not allow your body to function in a proper manner. And sure enough, it came out that, you know, he had a, a fractured, I believe it was a fractured fibula, a broken leg. You can't fight on that. You can't move around on that. Uh, you know, maybe if there was a one round to go, he would have gutted that out. But, you know, he knew that there was no way he could function and, and operate. So, it, it, you know, I, I don't have a problem with that fight stopping. And, you know, a lot of people were saying, well, he's not even, you know, reacting. You know, he looks fine. He looks fine. Certain people, everybody's different. Everyone shows emotion and shows pain to different levels. And I'm not saying it didn't hurt. It probably hurt like hell. But Patricio's not the guy, not the type of person that's going to break down and, you know, let you see him hurt. You know, but my thing about that, Sam, is, and I just, I don't know how Coker, Rich, Kogan, um, Danny Brenner, who, who runs their PR department, I don't know. I, I, I feel bad for these guys because every time something like this happens, you know, there, there is a certain population in the MMA community that just wants to throw it out there. And I just like, if it was UFC, you wouldn't hear that. And it's just like, I, I don't know no, how we those hear, guys we hear it. We hear it at the UFC. We, sometimes. Not, it's not as maybe vocal, but it, I, I see those tweets. I hear those people. I, you know, what I really think it is at the end of the day, I think it's, Angry betters. I think it's angry gamblers that ha that are right there on Twitter, and they have that you know that Ill that uh, irrational anger, that irrational angry moment, 
and their phone is right there connected to their hands, which is connected to their brain, and there's no filter there, and it just comes out, and they say the first thing that comes to mind. And there's a lot of gamblers, when they lose money, especially in a fight that was going their way, when they lose like that, they they can't (laughs) handle it. They can't handle it. And there are people that bet on Bellator. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just, I I just feel for everyone at Bellator when stuff like that comes out. I mean, it's just, I I feel for them. I mean, you know, it it was, I mean, look, I thought, Patricio, I thought they had a great game plan, you know, and and, uh, if that fight goes in, but also I will say this about Bellator. I I really wish they would embrace the five-round non-title main events, you know, because, I mean, especially a fight like that, I kind of feel like, it would been better to have that as a five-round fight. I mean, obviously, it didn't get to that stage, but I really would like to see Bellator embrace that, you know, what we see in the UFC. That could be a contractual issue, though. It's There's definitely legal issues when all of a sudden you start to ask fighters to fight five-round fights when titles aren't on the line. That's, that's you know, ten more, ra- that's ten more minutes that you're asking them to potentially fight and you're not paying them more. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, but overall I thought it was a pretty good Bellator card. Obviously, I went back there and watched it. And, and since I had already knew what happened in the main event, I could see in the first round, I, I, I forget where the moment was, and I was like, that's where the injury happened. It was definitely in the first round, and, and you know, in thoughts and prayers go to Patricio as he goes and heals up. But now it's Benson Henderson, Michael Chandler, a, a fight that I think for a lot, of, a lot of fight fans, it wasn't that long ago we were all saying, boy, how could an undefeated Michael Chandler do uh, against Benson Henderson, we're finally going to see that fight. Of course, that's going to be uh, November 19th uh, in uh, San Jose. Also, Michael Page and Fernando Gonzalez, which, you know, Sam, I saw some people like, oh, why is Bellator going down the throat again? I'm like, to me, that was the right fight to make. It's the right fight to make, and you have to understand, Bellator doesn't have a ton of depth. There aren't a lot of options for Michael Page right now, and that is a great option. It's a great fight, and it hasn't happened yet. It's not like we're seeing the fight. It feels like you're seeing this fight for the second or third time. It's been promoted that many times. It just, it's never happened. It's yeah. still a matchup that's never happened. There's a high probability that it doesn't happen again. My hope is that they have guys on the undercard specifically assigned to the undercard to be backups for either Michael Page or Fernando uh, Gonzalez. I'll throw the name right there. Chidi Njikawani. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that to me I, would be the backup option for Fernando Gonzalez. I mean, it should be noted this is the third time they fought. The first time was supposed to be back at Be- or scheduled to fight. The first time was Bellator 151. Page uh, pulled out of the fight due to undisclosed reasons. Fernando Gonzalez ended up staying on the car, got a, a split decision win over George Smith, and of course they're supposed to fight in London. Fernando Gonzalez had visa issues, so then it ended up being uh, Cyborg Santos, which has come out that he wants a fight in December. I don't know about that one, Sam. You know, uh, you know, you never know. I mean, I, I guess I'd want I'd want to hear from a doctor that a doctor says he's medically cleared to fight again. An independent doctor. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Let's I mean, it's you know, it's just one of those things of, you know, just as uh, as a fight fan, it, it's kind of it's, you know, and look, I'm not a doctor. Oh, you know, we, we love to say the line. Uh, we're not lawyers. <laughs> you're saying it now. I got you saying it. <laughs> but we're not doctors. Episodes and now you're saying it. But, uh, you know, I, I want to hear that from them. But, uh, you know, what you did mention Marcin Held signing with, with the UFC. It, you know, it's going to be interesting to kind of see how the UFC matches him up. You got to imagine that he's probably a guy that we would see a lot on, on a European card for the UFC. Uh, but I'm interested to see how they match him up. And, and you know, does he – What's kind of the path did they put him on? Yeah, it's it's interesting because, you know, there's always a perception that 
the UFC wouldn't want to see fighters that were made in other promotions come into their promotion and do well because it would potentially downgrade the value or the brand identity of, of, you know, being a UFC fighter. You know, there's no way we could allow someone else to come in and have success here because it somehow denigrates what, what we've been doing. And I don't know if that's necessarily the case, if they've ever said that, but that's always been the perception from the outside that they definitely would uh, try to make it difficult for anybody that achieves success elsewhere to come in and achieve this similar level of success. But a guy like Martin Held, he's going to the UFC. He wanted to go to the UFC because he wants tough fights. So I don't know if they're going to start him out with tough fights and, and, and try to, you know, you know, try to devalue him as soon as possible, or if they're going to maybe take a little bit of a different road and try to develop him. You know, I, maybe they don't see Bellator as big of a threat as, as they once did, and maybe all they care about at this point now that they have 600 fighters plus on their roster is just getting anyone from anywhere and, and building up any way they can. You know, you look at Eddie Alvarez, former Bellator champion, current UFC lightweight champion, so apparently they don't have any issues with, with promoting him. Yeah, so we'll see what happens there. But, Sam, really, to me, the other major news of the last week is actually involves Titan FC and their next event, which is on September the 9th. Now, part of this fight car was going to crown the vacant bantamweight champion, and Andrew Whitney was going to be one of the fighters uh, in this uh, vacant title fight. And Andrew Whitney ended up doing a interview uh, with Bloody Elbow, and the headline of the article was Whitney sick of fighting for $3,000 when tomato cans in the UFC make more. And, you know, Sam, when, when I saw this headline, I said, all right, there, there's a flashy headline that's going to get me to click the link. But, you know, when, when I hear $3,000 and regional scene, that doesn't shock me. I mean, 1500 a show, 1500 a win makes sense. You know, I mean, and there's a lot of guys making a lot less than that on the regional scene. Yeah, I mean, that's not a bad payday for a regional promotion. But I, I just couldn't believe the reaction that Titan had to that interview. One of the poorest reactions that I've ever seen. There's no reason for Andrew Whitney to have been pulled from that show. What did he say in that interview that was that bad? And speaking of that reaction, I want to play what Jeff Aronson, the Titan FC CEO, said. This is with James Lynch of MMAOddsBreaker.com when he was, when James asked him about the Andrew Whitney situation. Andrew Whitney will not be competing on this card. Um, anything more than that, I haven't made a final decision. Um, you know, I think uh, – I think sometimes we all speak in the moment and we get caught up in the moment. So I'm I'm gonna kind of take a, a couple days. I'm gonna I'm gonna deal with this situation. Um, Andrew um, is gonna sit for a little while, and I'm gonna make a decision on what's gonna happen with him next. And, and that's the key right there, Sam, is what he says there. And I think that's the part that kind of has gotten people kind of talking about where he made the comment and the direct quote from him was, he goes, I'm going to deal with the situation. Andrew is going to sit for a little while. And, and to me, that's the part of the quote. But I, I think also what? this is the part where I, I think if, if Titan could do this over, Jeff Aronson should have just said no comment. That quote's a joke. On one hand, he says he's going to take a moment, not say something in the moment, and then he basically says he's going to shelve this guy. So you come out and you make a strong, bold statement like that, talking about how you're going to needless, needlessly 
bench this guy and take away his ability to earn a living, that's that's ridiculous. That is ridiculous to me, and it's completely wrong. I I don't know what Jeff Aronson's doing. This is a guy who I have a major issue with how he's handled his promotion professionally, and I have an issue with him personally, and I'm going to disclose that here. You know, we we I we try to be professional, we try to be mature, but at the same time, if I have a personal issue with someone, I feel like I have to be honest with the listeners of this show and tell them that so that I'm not disguising criticism as as unbiased. And maybe I am biased against him based on the personal issues that I have with him, and I'll get into that right now. This is a guy who with his agency Alchemist Management and Lexic Man and and Nima. They, when I was the vice president of talent relations at Bellator, they were always trying to get their fighters signed by Bellator. They had a lot of fighters under contract. They had a lot of guys signed to the UFC, but they had a lot of guys that were on smaller shows, not making a lot of money. So they wanted to use Bellator as a secondary platform, as a holding spot for a lot of these guys and get them paid better than what they were earning on the regional level and also get them some exposure. The thing, though, the issue was, as much as they wanted guys you know, fighting on our shows, the guys that they kept presenting me were not fighters that I felt were high priorities for Bellator to sign. And I was very honest in that. And Lex always handled my responses very professionally. He was very persistent about it, but that's when you're a manager and you have clients, you have to be. But he was always professional about it. We even met one time, I believe it was at the Thackerville Casino. It wasn't a very long meeting, but we met face-to-face, and I explained to Lex my philosophy on signing talent, and he explained to me his philosophy. But I told him that these are guys that I – the guys that you're presenting me, they're not guys that I feel like I need to sign at this moment. And he would say, well, you've signed this guy. You've signed this guy. You know – my guy is as good as that. Why are you signing these guys and not my guys? Because I, I classified you know, certain fighters as A-level, B-level, C-level. And when you're Bellator and you have a lot of spots to fill, you're doing 25 shows a year, not everyone is going to be A-level. You have to sign some B-level, and you're going to sign some C-level guys. And I basically felt that they were offering me just a bunch of C-level guys. And they would say, you know, like I said, you've got this guy here, this guy there. And my response is, yeah. I will sign B and C level guys, but I'm going to work with the managers that have helped me out, that have helped Bellator out and have brought us A level guys. If I need a B or C level guy, I'm going to go to a Brian Butler. I'm going to go to Imani Cox because they've brought because Monty brought me a Will Brooks. Brian Butler. Hey, I signed Pat Curran. I signed Doug Lima through him. Do you think my bosses were pretty happy when Pat Curran turned out to be the guy that he was and Doug Lima had those big knockouts? It made me look good in the eyes of my bosses. It made Bellator look good in the eyes of the entire MMA industry. My job was to recruit talent and bring the best talent that I could to MMA. And, yes, I had little tricks that I would use. If I, I, I had managers that were my favorite. I had guys that were in the inner circle. But in my defense, it was real easy to get into that inner circle. It had nothing to do with personal feelings. It was all business. You could be anyone. I, you, you and I, like, I could have a personal issue with someone. But if they called me with a big-time fighter, all the past issues would, would go by the wayside, and I would sign that guy. And, yeah, I would do favors for guys. That's how it worked. And, you know, Bjorn Rebney was very aware of my philosophy. And when I explained that philosophy to him, he said, that's – you sound like you know what you're doing. It sounds like you, you're a guy that knows how to 
motivate managers to bring us A-list talent. And I would dangle that carrot all the time. And I told Lex, hey, soon as you bring me a top-level guy, a guy that we're all excited to sign here, that's going to open the door. Once you bring us an A-level player, that's going to bring us, you know, that's going to open the door for me to sign your B and C-level guys without question. And there was a real hesitancy on their part to bring a guy that was A-level to Bellator. And my theory was that they were always worried about that because they held their relationship with the UFC on a very high level and they weren't willing to jeopardize that. A guy like Monty Cox did not care. He gave me the opportunity to bid on every one of his fighters. Didn't matter. He never said to me, Sam, this guy's going to the UFC. You can't talk to him. I got that response from Lex sometimes. I'd say, hey, I, we want to meet this guy. We want to meet with this guy. We hear that you know, he's available. This guy's a top prospect. We want to talk to him. And, oh, well, you know, it's, 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 uh, I've already promised him to the UFC. We can't really you know, talk to anyone right now. And that's fine. If that's the attitude that you want to take as a management firm, I was okay with that. But don't try to play both sides of the coin. Don't try to reserve all your best fighters for the UFC and not even give my promotion a chance to even meet with those guys, sit down with them and even make an offer. But then come to us and push all your B and C level guys. I'll give uh, Mike Roberts and uh, his partner, the, 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 the guys that work with Uri- Uriah Faber, Dillashaw, that whole management group. They manage all the alpha male guys. They wouldn't even really talk to us. And it's because they held that relationship with the UFC in high esteem and they weren't really open to doing business with, uh, with us at all. But, but they were consistent about that. They didn't try to push anyone that was B or C level. They just didn't push anyone. They knew that the UFC is where they wanted to be and that was the relationship that they wanted to focus on. And they were they you know didn't want to put anyone in a situation where they had to have their cake and eat it too and i felt like that's what they were doing and so there was a real issue with uh, alchemist getting fighters into bellator and jeff aronson who i've never spoken to directly i've never emailed him texted him even talked to him on the phone met him in person he called one of my bosses filed a complaint against me and basically suggested that bellator should fire me now that complaint was not very taken very seriously at all because it was told to me by my boss the very next day and we laughed about it he called me up and said oh, wow i spoke to this jeff aronson guy did you you know did you uh you know hit on his girlfriend or something this guy does not like you wants me to get rid of you and we just started laughing and you know they were well aware my bosses were well aware of the relationship with alchemist that, that we had i mean they they you know bjorn was the type of guy where if i had signed a B or C level guy, uh, brought them in to, to a, a, from a management firm that was not willing to play ball with us with, for their top guys. Let us even, you know, bid on, I wasn't asking them to steer their fighters to Bellator. Just let me into the conversation, let Bellator into the conversation. Let us meet with your guy in person. Let us get on the phone. Let us make an offer and consider our offer versus the UFC offer. And many management firms were not willing to do that out of fear of pissing off the UFC. And Alchemist was one of those agencies. But Jeff Aronson took it upon himself to go to my boss and try to have me fired. Now, I have a family. I have responsibilities. I have people that I have to take care of. So when you take it to that level, yes, I take that very personally, and I think that's uh, it's, it's a major character, character flaw within him. I think that's a crappy thing to do to somebody. Uh, you know, and he's doing the same thing to Andrew Whitney. He's pulled this guy from the show. Andrew Whitney will not get paid, and now Andrew Whitney has no idea when he's going to fight again. So how can you do that to a fighter? How can you say you're fighter, fighter fans first and then do that to a guy? If you don't want to be in the Andrew Whitney business, that's fine. Get out of the contract. Let him go. Let him fight somewhere else. But do not pull him off a show that you've already booked him for over some comments that really weren't that bad. 
and then put on the shelf. What's what's the real story here? Is there more to it? And if there is more to it, then you're really doing a bad job representing yourself by by pulling him and claiming this is the reason and not telling us the whole story. Because if this is the whole story, it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. I mean, he so Andrew Whitney made some loud mouth comments, some arrogant comments. It's the fight game. This isn't golf. This is the fight game. This is how fighters get over. This is how they become bigger stars. Are you telling me that guys like Conor McGregor could not fight for Jeff Aronson? Because that's this, basically what Andrew Whitney did. It wasn't all that different than what a Conor McGregor would say. Conor McGregor comes out, says bold statements, statements that get people to react to him. If anything, Andrew Whitney should have got a bonus for giving the interview that he uh, did because people were talking about it even before he got pulled from the show. That, that was one of the, the, the uh, most reactions I've seen from a Titan fighter doing an interview than I've seen before. So let the guy do his job. Let him promote himself. And if he needs to go a little rogue a little bit and say some bold statements, who cares? What This is the fight game. This is not. That's not how you promote MMA, by pulling a guy from getting attention for himself. It's, it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. And I'll, I'll tell you another story about Jeff Aronson. If you, I know I'm long-winded here, uh, but I know there's going to be people out there that will get a kick out of this story. When uh, Bellator, I think it's common knowledge if you followed the sport for the last six, seven years, Bellator at one point was very hot after Nate Marquardt. After he got cut from the UFC, when he got pulled from that Pittsburgh show, I believe it was the eve of uh, that UFC event in, in Pittsburgh, Greg, there was a disclosure, I think it was for the TRT. Uh, yes. The TRT license, Greg Serb pulled him. And then, Bell- and then you, the UFC cut him. And he was out of the UFC. He was unhappy about it. They didn't feel like it was it was handled the right way. We capitalized on that. We wanted Nate Marquardt really bad. And we flew him out. We met with him, him and Lex. And it was a good meeting. It was really good. I liked Lex. Lex handled himself very professionally. Uh, Nate was a – I really was impressed with Nate as a person. I, I liked him. You know, Bjorn liked him. We really wanted to do business with him. So we were in Bjorn's office. I believe it was a two-day meeting, and this was the last day. We went out to uh, dinner with them the night before. It was a good dinner. Nate ate a ton of sushi. Bjorn took us to a great sushi, sushi restaurant. I think we probably ate about 800 to $900 worth of sushi on Bjorn's dime. Uh, or the company dime. So we meet in Bjorn's office the next day. Everything's going great. We're talking. We had exchanged numbers before that, I think through email. Before they had even landed, we had talked about numbers just to get a basic idea of what direction we wanted to go in. So we're talking about, you know, other ways we feel like we can be a benefit to Nate. And, you know, Lex brings up a couple of times, hey, I've got a partner. His name's Jeff. Uh, he can't be here, but he, you know, he, he wants to be involved and, you know, he just, uh, at some point can, can, can we get him on a call here, put him on the speakerphone and, and just talk to him real quick. And Bjorn's like, sure, I don't care. Whatever you need to do, Lex, let's, we'll do it. And he brings, you know, Lex keeps bringing it up every so often. Hey, at a certain point, I've got to get Jeff on here. Sure enough, he gets a text. I think it was from Jeff and he goes, Hey, Jeff, Jeff's available. Let's put him on. So calls Jeff. We put him on speaker. You know, hey, Jeff, I've got Sam and Bjorn here and Nate's here. And, you know, we've had a great meeting. Everything's going well, you know, and, you know, and, and, you know, Jeff comes on and he comes on with that, you know, deep voice and that thick accent. And he goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, you know, everything seems great. But, you know, the money, this, he, Nate can't fight for this money. This money's a joke. He can't fight for this. That's uh, that's not maybe necessarily a direct quote, but pretty close to the mark. And he's just kind of like everything was going great to that point. And it was like he was the turd in the punch bowl. I mean, it just everything was great. And then that turd just got jumped and uh, dunked into everybody's uh, punch bowl. And, you know, everybody's face went sour. Bjorn, you know, once this guy started opening his mouth, Bjorn looked at me and gave me the most 
perplexed, bewildered look like, what the hell is going on here? Where did this come from? It, did Lex really put this guy on the phone right now? And, you know, Jeff starts talking, starts trying to, you know, belittle us for the money that we've offered Nate, you know, and just saying Nate's not going to fight for this after, you know, Lex said, hey, you know, it's, 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 it's a decent offer. There's maybe a few more things we need to, you know, hurdles we have to get over. But we thought we were pretty, pretty close until Jeff opened his mouth. And, you know, Lex kind of was speechless and just hurried Jeff off the phone and just said, hey, Jeff, you know, uh, Nate and I, we're going to take, we're scheduled for a lunch break here. We're going to go to lunch. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll catch up with you later. And just he ushered Nate out of there. And that pretty much was the end of that. I mean, it would just, it just uh, killed them. He killed the deal right there. I mean, Bjorn was just like, after they walked out, he's like, what was that? Why would they put someone like that on the phone and, and during such a high-level negotiation? It was just the way Jeff carried himself, the way he phrased things, the way he spoke. It was just completely unprofessional. I was kind of taken aback by it. I was shocked. And, uh, you know, needless to say, Nate didn't sign with us because at the end of the day, Nate was so hurt by being released by the UFC. And that's the only promotion he ever really wanted to fight for. He wanted to go back. He knew that if he signed the Bellator deal, it could be a very long time before he was going to be able to make his way back there. But I'll give Lex credit. Lex, I believe, and Lex told us, and, he, and I think he was sincere about it, that he felt Bellator was the best place for Nate. That the offer that we put before them, that was the best deal, the best thing that Nate could have done for himself at that stage of his career. But at the end of the day, Nate has to make his own decision. If Nate wasn't you know, committed to fighting for us, there was no way he was going to try to get him to sign with us. And that, that was that. And everything was fine with Lex. I respected Lex. Uh, I like, uh, you know, I'm not sure if Nima Safafor still works for them, uh, but I liked Nima. Nima and I butted heads on, on a couple things, but we always handled ourselves, you know, professionally. We, we always, you know, hurt each other out and, you know, he was fine and, and Nima was fine. And I don't have, you know, I'm, I don't know if Lex has an issue with me, but I don't have an issue with Lex. As far as I'm concerned, Lex always handled himself professionally. But this Jeff Aronson, I, he's toxic. He is absolutely toxic from the cancellation that they did last December and that BS excuse they give out to, you know, basically tampering with Bubba Jenkins, making him uh, essentially making him an offer while he's under contract to another organization to doing this. It just what this guy is not cut out to be a promoter. He should not be a promoter as much as he might want to be a promoter. He is not a promoter. There's a couple of things that that jumped out to me with uh, you know the the fallout of this article. You know, the first thing that came to my mind is if you're a current Titan fighter, now you're like, man, if I wanted to express my opinions that may not be uh, necessarily in a positive light for Titan about Titan, you know, do you, do you not speak your mind? Which look, as a reporter, every time that I do an interview, you're you're hoping that you know you're going to get the uh, you know a brutally honest answer out of any question that you ask a fighter. Uh, another thing that that jumped out to me was uh, the legal situation, and and you know, and this is where I, I would would love to know if. Anybody from um, the MMAFA has reached out to Andrew Whitney about the situation because this is clearly this is a labor situation. It's a labor situation. Uh, you know, at one point I thought it might be a legal situation, but you know, maybe you want to talk about a, a little more on that, Jason. I, I, I guess at the end of the day, maybe Jeff has a, a legal leg to stand on based on how his contract may or may not be written. 
That being said, even if you have a legal out, from a moral standpoint, especially when you promote yourself as an organization that's fans and fighters first, how can you do this to a guy? Yeah, I don't know how. I mean, look, I think that all sides ultimately look bad in this situation. I don't, I don't think there's a winner. Um, you know, but be, why does Andrew Whitney look bad? I just, I mean, I, I think that there's going to be some people that have a perception of look, and there's people in, in the industry that don't have good things to say about Andrew Whitney. Um, you know, look, I, I think that when I read that Bloody Elbow article, and, and I've probably read it three or four times, you know, because I was, you know, when, when, you know, after I heard, you know, the comments that Jeff Aronson, I said, okay, I go, let me try to put my, you know, I'm the promoter of Titan FC. And, and obviously, you know, do you necessarily want a, a fire talking about regional pay? No. I mean, I, you know, I've had people, you know, when all this went down, you know, I had some people, you know, in the media circles reach out to me. And they said, hey. Have you ever reached out to the Florida Commission about, you know, uh, doing a public records request on Titan Pay? And I said, no. I go, and and the reason that I would not do that is because it's going to make you come off negative. Like, you're trying to make a promotion look bad. I mean, you know, because, Stan, we both know what regional pay is like. Um, you know, I, I think that sometimes fans' perceptions of certain regional promotions, at the end of the day, you look at Titan FC, they're a South Florida regional promotion. That's what they yeah. are. You know, and obviously the guys that, that can sell tickets majorly down in that South Florida market, Titan's going to pay them very well. And if you're not a ticket seller, you're, you're not going to make so, so much of a great payday. I guess Jeff Aronson, though, wants to pull the wool over people's eyes, and he wants to seem like he's this major national promotion but run things the same way a regional promotion would. He, I think he's got champagne dreams and beer money, and that's just, you know, that's you know that's great and all, but it's not realistic. And, you know, you look at Andrew Whitney and the comments that he made. Like, you know, I don't have a problem with what regional promotions pay fighters because I know what regional promotions make, and they don't make a ton of money. So I don't have a problem with regional promoters paying what they pay. But at the same time, I don't have a fighter problem with regional fighters wanting to make more money. Yeah. You know, no, I mean, everyone, it doesn't matter what you do. You want to make more money. And, and my but that's the only negative he said against Titan. He didn't criticize Titan as an organization or the way they did, did business. He made a general statement about the way regional fighters are paid, at least in my, that's the way I interpreted yeah, it. Yeah, I think it's the same way. You know, so, but, so what's the big deal? I mean, I've worked for a promotion in Bellator that had way more negative things said about it from its fighters. Really? And, you know, we didn't, and we didn't, you know, we didn't just pull guys off the, the show. You know, they, look, there were times where I got phone calls from from Bjorn wanting to pull guys uh, the, the night of the fight based on something he read. But at the end of the day, you know, we always talked him out of that, and we told him why he couldn't do it, and we never, we didn't do it. You know, and my, and my understanding is Andrew Whitney's current manager is Brian Butler. And that's, Bri- that's another issue, Jason. I'll, I'll talk about I'm sorry. sorry. And, and Brian Butler, and, and my understanding is that Brian Butler and Jeff Aronson have a very good relationship. And it, it makes you wonder how, I guess, almost a domino effect of how all this kind of falls out. And, you know, and also, I think if you're, you know, you're a manager just looking from the outside into this situation – you can't help but wonder, and you know, maybe you have a fighter that can tend to be, you know, tends to be an outspoken fighter. Are, are you kind of sitting there going, okay, maybe, you know, maybe you were talking to Titan about sending your fighter there, but now you look at that and say, uh, maybe Titan's not the best fit for my fighter. Both are very salient points that you just made there, Jason. Brian Butler, I'm sure he has a good relationship with Jeff, but that relationship's going to be tested because. You piss off Brian Butler, you have Alienware as a sponsorship 
with your promotion. Brian Butler can make one phone call. That's his sponsor that he brought to MMA. He makes one phone call. You lose that sponsorship. So that's another issue that I don't think he thought out here. Another issue is, you know, and there's a good documentary series on Netflix called Last Chance You. If you haven't seen it and you have Netflix, you have to see it. And Jason, at the end, there's a coach, Buddy Stevens, a loudmouth coach, mm-hmm. and there's a huge brawl. Well, there's a huge brawl during the course of that show and has major repercussions. I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but Buddy Stevens threw a couple of his athletes under the bus. And when you do that, all the other athletes, they don't identify with the coach. They identify with the other athlete. And if they see that the coach, promoter, authority figure did not have their teammates back, then they turn as well. Even though nothing necessarily was said against them directly, they turn against the authority figure. And that's how MMA works. If a promoter lashes out at a fighter unnecessarily and earns a reputation for treating fighters poorly, that gets around. Other fighters see that. They gravitate towards the fighter, and they want nothing to do with the promoter. I'm sure Titan will be able to continue to sign fighters, but something like this, will definitely be a factor in their recruiting and will hurt them when it comes to trying to attract certain fighters to their organization. Fighters talk. Fighters read everything. They see everything. They're very cognizant of how other fighters are treated. Yeah, it's, you know, and, and I guess I still go back to that point of, you know, if, you ha- if you're a manager and you have a fighter that, can be outspoken in interviews and Sam, you know, there's, there's, you know, and a lot of this game is you have to do that on the regional scene to kind of to get noticed, you know, because how, you know, half of this game is fighting. The other half is how you can sell a fight. And, you know, if, you know, let's just say you're a manager that, that works at sucker punch and you've been talking to, to tightening, you have a fire it's outspoken. What do you do? I don't know. I mean, you definitely don't bring that guy there. I mean, there uh, there are other options. You know, victory is on Fight Pass. You know, is Titan any more prestigious than fighting for Ryan Stoddard and victory? At this point, I would much rather go fight for Ryan Stoddard and victory because I think Ryan handles fighters better than Jeff Aronson. Uh, you know, I don't think Ryan Stoddard would pull an end. You know, I know Ryan. I've worked with Ryan. You know, he, he worked for Joe Kelly and I at Bellator. And, you know, he, he's doing well. He's running his own promotion now. You know, the Ryan Stoddard I know, if, if Andrew Whitney said something like that and got a lot of attention, he would call up and congratulate Andrew Whitney. He would he would value that. I mean, you know, uh, Ryan Stoddard, you know, managed Joe Wilk. He, lo- you know, he loves Joe Wilk. He promotes Joe Wilk because Joe Wilk is a larger than life personality. And, you know, that's the type, that's what a promoter should be coveting. You want fighters that make your job easier. And Andrew Whitney. At, you know, after he made those comments, that got me pretty excited for that that fight. I was looking for, wow, there's, there's a lot at stake at this fight. This could be what gets Andrew Whitney into the UFC. And if he doesn't, you know, win, then he's going to have a lot of egg on his face. There was some hype just starting to build, some momentum building for that fight that made me more interested in a Titan main event than, than I had been in quite some time. And sure enough, Jeff. It wasn't even the main event. Uh, well, it, it Really? Could no, the the uh, the women's bantamweight uh, fight is the main event of that fight card. No, okay. Right, um, okay. I believe Harrison and uh, and Popo is going to be the co-main event. That's a good fight, but you know you can never have too many. There's no such thing as having too many fights that people look forward to on your show, and that was a fight I was looking forward to. And Jeff Aronson completely took the air out of his own show. That's counterintuitive to being a promoter. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, I, you know, look, if they don't want to be in the Andrew Whitney business, just release him, let him go fight somewhere else, you know, where, wherever he can fight a, a deal. And I think that, you know, I mean, I would hope that if Jeff Aronson could do this all over again, he just would have said no comment and said that we're going to handle this privately because, I mean, that's the way it should be handled. It should be it should be something that, that's not played out through the media. It's something that should be handled behind the scenes between – uh, you know, Jeff Aronson, Lex McMahon, and Andrew Whitney and his management. And Brian, yeah, and Brian Butler. Maybe the first call that Jeff should have made it was to Brian Butler before going and, and making this decision. Because if you're Brian Butler, I couldn't imagine he's too happy about this. I mean, he's got to do, he's a fiduciary responsibility to represent the best inter- interest of his client. And this is, this is horrible treatment of a fighter. Horrible treatment. And that's why, and that's kind of, I wonder if, if Rob Macy is aware of this situation because, you know, Obviously, his organ or the the association that he is trying to build is for all MMA fighters, and these are the type of things I, I would hope that the MMA FA would would try to uh, to help those fighters out. You know, when, when you're you know whether it's a, whether it's a Titan or, or it's any regional promotion around the country. I mean, there was uh, you know I know there was an article written up in the Northeast about Bill Jones and CES MMA. I mean, these are the type of situations that if we're going to have a fighters association. These are the type of fight, you know, these are the type of fighters that, you know, an organization like the MMA FA should be helping out. Yes, I agree. And this is a great way for Rob and the MMA FA to kind of make a footprint, a bigger footprint in the yeah. MMA industry. And, you know, you know, PFA has done a tremendous job with their PR. I mean, they've done an incredible job with their PR, but this could be a way for. MMA FA to, to really boost their presence as well. Look, I, I'm I've been very critical of the MMA FA, and I was really interested to talk to Rob Macy. You know, who knows? It might have been a very heated conversation between the three of us. But you know, that was one of the things that hey, if you're if you're looking to help out fighters, to me, you know, these are the type of situations that you should be trying to go out there and help out. You know, um, you know, Andrew Whitney thought he was going to go out and, and make money. Now. Uh, I'm not sure if it was in that interview or another interview. Jeff Aronson said that actually Andrew Whitney could, was going to make four thousand dollars. So uh, you know a little bit of money there, but you know I mean let's be honest about it. I don't you go you can go into any gym in America and, and find a guy that is is fighting on the regional scene, and you know what you know ninety percent of them are not going to be happy with what they're making because everyone wants to make more money. Right. You know, so it's going to be interesting to kind of see how how all of this does play out there. Of course. Uh, uh, that Titan card is coming up here on September the 9th. Uh, uh, by the way, I'll tell you, a fire to pay attention to, Eric Anders. He is now undefeated. He's a former uh, University of Alabama linebacker, uh, played under Nick Saban. He improved to a 5-0 his career uh, last weekend at Valor Fights. He's, he's definitely a guy that you want to pay attention to. But right now, Sam, going to play you the uh, the interview that we did with uh, Jim Ross. We talked about what's going on with him, get get his uh, thoughts on MMA, and, of course, we'll talk about some of the various topics uh, in MMA with Jim Ross. Joining us now here on the MMA Insiders on Radio Influence is Jim Ross. Of course, you can follow Jim on Twitter at JRsBBQ. Jim, I really appreciate time. Of course, you've got the Ross Report, but also you're the celebrity spokesman for Fight TV. So how did you get involved with the guys at Fight TV? Uh, Well, I'll tell you, it was an interesting uh, arrangement. Quickly, uh, the quick story is that uh, a gentleman by the name of Mike Weber, who's a senior VP of marketing there, uh, worked with me way back in the day at WCW in Atlanta, back in the late 80s and early 90s. And so he approached me about the opportunity, and I said, well, you know, Mike, I don't really do a lot of, I don't do any celebrity endorsements, to be honest with you. And I certainly wouldn't do one unless I used the product. So 
I use the uh, Fight app. It was, you can download it for free. Uh, it's spelled F-I-T-E, by the way. And uh, so I use it for about a month or six weeks. And being the, uh, the novice IT guy, uh, you know, I'm, I still can't cut and paste on my computer, so I'm, I'm a little bit helpless. Uh, I used it. it I, I figured it out very easily. It was no no-brainer. You know, I, I realize if you've got a smart device and Wi-Fi, you're in the game. So uh, our app has a ton of free pro wrestling, MMA, uh, boxing, all kinds of combat-oriented sports, competitions, movies, uh, tons of stuff. Now, do we also carry pay-per-views. And I think what we've done, uh, Jason, is we've allowed the uh, small promotions who didn't, who don't have a TV deal, to actually uh, to help get their pro- product distributed into their into the homes of their fans. So I think that's the biggest thing that we're we're doing is helping small promotions. And look, we have larger promotions as well, but but the small promotions especially now have a heartbeat on to getting their, their product in the homes of their fans uh, through the fight app. So it's really a it's really a cool deal, and, and a lot of it is the, the app itself, as I mentioned, is free. And a lot of the content is free, so it's a it's been a fun uh, a ride for me, and I'm glad that I did it. And of course, obviously, a lot of people remember you from your pro wrestling days, but calling boxing now uh, on the CBS Sports Network, and as someone that's in, involved in in play by play broadcasting, what are the differences? You know, going back to your time, you know, calling professional wrestling matches as opposed to you know now calling boxing fights. Is it is it pretty much the same type of uh, you know format for you in terms of how you're 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 letting the people know what's going on? Yeah, I think it's uh, Jason basic storytelling. Uh, I think sometimes uh, all of us in our at different times of our life have probably have been guilty of trying to reinvent something that didn't need to be reinvented. Uh, I when I got into boxing, uh, you know, I was with CVS Sportsnet. I uh, I was you know new, uh, and I've been a boxing fan all my life. I've been a storyteller all my life. So I had to first of all check my ego at the door and say, look. Uh, you're not Don Duffy, Jr. You're, you know, you're 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 going to be a, you're a new announcer learning your trade. So, uh, I I follow the same principles. I'm a storyteller. The the talent and the game is prioritized above me by by far. Uh, I know on September the ninth, uh, we're going to be back at the at ringside in Las Vegas at the D Knockout Night at the D. It's a hell of a little program. Some great young fighters, and I'll be working with Al Bernstein, the Hall of Famer, on that show. And that's on Friday night, September the ninth. So, but the prep is basically the same. You know, I really do a lot of prep work uh, with our guys. Our talents, our boxers, are really talented young boxers, but they don't have uh, long bodies of work. So, for the fans to get engaged with them, I got to find out a little bit about them. So that's where I, I do my. I like to think I do some of my best work in the fighter meetings because there's where you can really sit down and one on one and and get more of a, a, about the people and not not just. Well, tell us about your left hand. Tell us about your right hook. Mm-hmm. You know, tell us about that third round knockout you endured the last fight. You, we get you'll get that information, but there's a lot more to those fighters than that, and that's what we try to find. How often, when you're in those those meetings with the fighters and you're you're getting to know them, how how much of of those guys will actually start asking you questions and maybe trying to learn about? how they promote themselves to, to market themselves better, because obviously your history in professional wrestling. Well, more often than you'd probably think, uh, it's kind of uh, humbling because uh, a lot of the kids are, are know, know who I am from my work in, in WWE for 20-plus years. 
but certainly their trainers and sometimes their parents, uh, they're, they're some of the posses uh, or vigor fans, of, you know, and, and so it's, you know, there's always a selfie opportunity. They want to take a picture or stuff like that. I find that kind of, you know, kind of fun. It's kind of eye-opening in the beginning. But nonetheless, it's it's kind of cool, you know. they And we talk to them about that, too. You know, I'm, I'm very upfront about how I approach the fighters. Hey, look, the world's watching you. They don't want a feeling out period. They want people to engage. So if you want to really make a name for yourself, you've got to be an active fighter. You've got to be aggressive. You've got to be smart. You've got to be aggressive. And you've got to be tough. And you've got to bring it. It's not a, there's no magic formula here. And so a lot of them kind of get it, you know, that, hey, look, we're looking for fighters that want to engage and are aggressive. And, uh, you know, I, I tell them all the time, hey, you can, you can do a lot worse if you're not sure what to do than be aggressive. Being aggressive in MMA, in, a, in an octagon or a cage or in a boxing ring, or even in a pro wrestling performance, you know, aggression, it plays well to most viewers. You know, obviously, we're we're an MMA business podcast here. What, what's your thoughts on the MMA business currently? Well, it's uh, you know, it's it's exciting. It's certainly uh, it's a unique time to follow it and report on, like you guys do. Uh, you know, the UFC, uh, you know, the sale of the UFC, and and, and they're continuing to march on. You're kind of, you're, all of us are uh, are I'm sure that are listening to this are probably more interested in. What's going to change down the road? How's it going to change for the fighters? How's it going to change for the fans? Uh, and I, those are questions that will be answered, I'm sure, in time. And you, and you can almost bet that at some point down the road, we're going to see some uh, significant tweaks in the UFC approach uh, because that's what new owners do. And Lord knows they paid north of $4 billion. They got the right to change a few things they choose to. Uh, so I'm anxious to see how that works out, how the re- relationship with the fighters and the organizations, uh, the organization goes. And look, let's be honest about it. They're not, they're never going to have a, I don't think they'll ever have a fighters union. Uh, and I think that they, if they did, it would be chaos because boxers and MMA fighters and even pro wrestlers are all the same kind of same cloth in as much as they have trust issues. So getting somebody to uh, their peers to lead them in a union is, uh, I find to be dubious. I just don't think it's going to happen. But I think that the relationship between the fighters and, and, the, and the parent company can be always be better. But it's, look at the NFL. It's so acrimonious now. People are speaking out. They don't like Roger Goodell. I mean, really strong uh, statements. So I don't think you're going to that point in, in USC, but I think that they're going to be making some changes. I'm anxious to see how Bellator evolves. You know, are they going to become a WCW, a Turner-owned wrestling company? Uh, and be owned by Viacom, are they going to grow? Uh, where are they going? You know, I, I, I think sometimes that they could deliver more. So uh, they got a great, hey, look, they got a great opportunity. They got, they, they're owned by a TV network. Mm-hmm. How, how much better can that be? And so it's, if the TV network itself is starting to make a commitment and, and get, really kick this thing rolling, uh, you know, I'd like to see uh, uh, Bellator do better. But I, the USC thing is, it's, it's the next big sport. Mm-hmm. And so you guys are covering it are smart because it's the next big thing, and uh, it's just going to continue to grow and get bigger, in my opinion. You know, obviously, I believe there's a true crossover factor between MMA fans and, and professional wrestling fans. But for you, when, you know, if you were scouting talent right now, do you believe that professional wrestling is losing talent to MMA, or you know, or is it maybe something that's overblown? I think it might be. Uh, uh, a little bit overblown, Jason. Quite frankly, uh, 
Uh, there's plenty of talent to go around for everybody, honestly. Uh, that's a that's a Pollyannish answer. It's not it's not cutting edge. It's but it's the truth, in my opinion. Uh, I really believe that uh, uh, there's a lot of you know there's a, it takes a different breed of cat to be in the WWE than it does to be in the UFC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know WWE is a performance art, so to speak. It's physical physicality. It's challenging. No season. But they got a chance to make a lot of money over several years, uh, and you know the USC is is a real sport. You're gonna get busted up and, and, and banged up, and not that you won't get hurt in, in pro wrestling because that happens as well. Uh, their champion, WWE's champion, Finn Balor, just got towards labrum, a 180 degree tear in a match, and you know it feels so all it's fake wrestling, you know. It's, but people get hurt. Yeah, the innings are out. The innings are predetermined. You know that's a, that's a revelation, but the physicality is real. Yeah. And they wrestle so much, and there's no off season. You know, Jason, this is, you know, we all use our common sense. They're, they're bound to have injuries, and they do. So it's a. Uh, but I, I think there's plenty of talent to go around. I really do. I think that there will be some people from MMA migrate to WWE over time, more more than we've seen because of precedent and the fact that there's there's large sums of money that they can make. You know, it's it's not beyond the realm of, of comprehension for a a really uh, high level athlete that's got a big personality. Uh, to go into WWE and, and make seven figures a year and do it for several years. And uh, even though you can make those massive paydays now in MMA and say in USC specifically, you can't do it for several years unless you're Dan Henderson or you're, yeah. you're Randy Couture and you're freaking nature. Yeah. Uh, final thing, Jim, and I really do appreciate time. Uh, this week as we're talking, uh, Mr. Mr. Fuji passed away. What, what is something you'd want people to know about him? Well, you'd want to know that you never want to leave your bag unattended in the locker room because you might padlock it to a, uh, some inanimate object that you'd have to get the a building crew to come uh, uh, cut the cut the chain off your bag. Uh, he he was a great practical joker, uh, and uh, you know just uh, absolutely had no conscience when it came to his, his ribs, as they call them in wrestling, the practical jokes. Uh, really strong river. And uh, we all knew him as kind of a docile, good old Uncle, uh, Uncle Fuji. And that's what a lot of guys call him, his uncle. Uh, but he was a great buck taker, very athletic in his young days. He was a street fighter, MMA-like street fighter in, in, the, in the 60s in Hawaii. That's, and he, his reputation as a, as a legit street fighter is what got him noticed by the wrestling promotion there. And they broke him into pro wrestling in the, in the early 60s. So a tough guy. But he and he played that uh, stereotypical evil Japanese character to to the T. So it was, it was good stuff. And hey, I wanted to mention to you. I, I'm not sure how you how this how your your format ro- rolls here, but you know the CM Punk uh, debut in MMA in the USC is going to mm-hmm. be really interesting. And the fact that they got him on all their advertising as a uh, attraction speaks to the fact that they believe USC believes, and rightfully so, I think that he's going to be a big. Uh, He's going to move the needle as far as the, the bias are concerned on this pay-per-view. Uh, it's coming off the heels of the McGregor-Diaz uh, fight, which is hard to follow without question. Maybe impossible. But uh, I think a lot of MMA fans are going to tune in to see Punk get beat up. Oh, no, yeah, no question. I, mean, I, can, I can tell you that uh, some of the marketing materials that are going out, a lot of it is just CM Punk related because I think people know that he is going to draw a different audience. And, um, you know, look, I, I've said on this podcast, I, I believe he's going to lose. I don't know if he makes it past two minutes. 
Well, I tell you, you, you may be actually you may be right on money because what do we have to go on? He's never had a fight. Yeah, and, and, and the guy and, he's fighting and, is very talented. Yeah, absolutely, and very motivated. And the guy has pointed out exactly what the announcers probably wanted to say. Now they can because they can just quote the fighter. He doesn't want to be the guy that loses to the wrestler. Uh, you know, Mickey Mickey Gall doesn't want to be the guy that loses to CM Punk and his and his maiden voyage. And so the thing about Punk is he's a very cerebral guy. He's a tough guy, uh, and and he'll be very well prepared mentally and physically. Uh, now, wh- how that translates into his performance in the in the in the octagon, gosh, anybody's bet, guess. But I would be with you. I find it very hard to think that uh, he can win. I'm pulling for him to win, to be honest with you, because I you know I was yeah. around him a lot when he was in WWE. But I think that. Uh, I think he's got a real uphill pull on this thing with fighting a more experienced guy that's had fights and young and hungry and all that good stuff. So, but the bottom line of it is, is that for the MMA guys on the for the USC guys on that card, they're getting a piece of, of the uh, pay per view. They should embrace that that he's there because yeah. you know what the hell he's going to he's going to bring eyeballs that weren't normally buyers, and the wrestling fans are going to buy for the faint hope that he might win, and perpetuate their cause, just like Brock Lesnar in his early days. Same deal. People paid money to see Lesnar get his ass whipped, and they got their wish, uh, you know, early. But then he kind of straightened out and, and became a, a fan favorite. So uh, I think that Punk, whether he, he does that or not, he's not Brock Lesnar level athlete. But yeah. the point being is that uh, I would I find it hard to envision him winning, but I don't find it impossible. Like anything can happen when you wear a four ounce glove. Yes, anything can happen, and for the business, it would be great for the UFC business if CM Punk goes out there. And and if anyone has not seen that documentary they're doing on FS1, it's great stuff that is out there. But, Jim, man, I really appreciate time. Let our our listeners know once again where they can find Fight TV and and, and where they can listen to your podcast at. Well, my podcast drops weekly. I do one podcast a week. Uh, This week uh, I had a kind of a potpourri show, a lot of three different interviews, with uh, Finn Balor, the kid from U.S. WWE that got his uh, uh, tore his labrum after winning the Universal Title, uh, Ricky Morton and uh, Matt Seidel, all wrestlers, all different stories, all different age groups, different you know classic guy like Morton, uh, a New Japan guy like Seidel, and a, you know the young it guy at WWE. So the, my podcast drop every week on iTunes and uh, Podcast One, the Ross Report, and then uh, the uh, the fight app is really something worth looking at. And as much as this, I tell people this, look, I'm not asking you to spend any money. Uh, it's free. It's a free app. If you like combat sports, if you like MMA, if you like all these, we have competitions from around the world. We have all kinds of unique uh, events and tournaments, uh, competitions that don't have a TV home. They don't have their quote-unquote Fox deal like uh, USC does. They don't have that deal. But what they have is a fight app, and the fight app gets that signal uh, right into your home. I watch stuff on my big screen TV uh, on my fight app because I got the uh, uh, smart device Apple TV uh, connection. So uh, it's a really a cool thing, and it's F I T E Fight TV app. And if you're an MMA fan, uh, there's no reason not to have it on your phone or your tablet because, again, it's free and it brings you a lot of very unique product that you can't see anywhere else. And you can go to fight.tv. You can actually see the schedule, what's coming up. Uh, you know, look on Friday, September 2nd, you got TNA Legends, uh, LA Fight Club, Shine 37. So a lot of events up there. 
JR, man, really appreciate time, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk in the future, man. Uh, you bet. And people can follow me on Twitter at JRSBBQ, and, and I, uh, I appreciate it. So uh, onward and up, I'm a big MMA fan. love to be on any time. So thank you very much, Jason. And that was our interview with Jim Ross. Really appreciate him taking some time out to talk to us, Sam. But we do want to get into questions that were submitted by our listeners via social media. And, and I want to first off start off a question that we got from uh, George from Colorado, who on Twitter is at, at George1UFC fam. And his question was this. He goes, with the ever-so-changing landscape with Viacom management, do you think some fighters should be or are hesitant to go aboard with them? And, and, I, and Sam, I thought this was a great question that, that George sent in here. You know, we, we talked about it. I think it was on uh, last week or, or the week before podcast talking about Philip Dumont and, uh, you know, his, his exit from Viacom. You know, and I, and I think that simply for fighters, you have to sit down and make that decision. And when we were talking about Rory McDonald earlier on the show, and I, I was thinking about this is, you know, if you're going to play out the free agent market and you're ultimately going to accept a contract from Bellator to send to the UFC, you have to be prepared to say, I could be a Bellator fighter because the UFC may not match that. So if your, your ultimate goal, the end goal is to be a UFC fighter, maybe accepting a Bellator deal may not be the best thing for you of what, of what you want to accomplish. But Mo, the, the, regarding the upper management changes within Viacom, the reality is this, nine out of 10, 10 MMA managers do not know what's going on with Viacom. Couldn't even tell you who the Viacom CEO is. They're just – this isn't – the level of MMA management is not like Major League Baseball, the NBA, NHL, or the NFL. It's a much lower level of professionalism. I'm not saying there aren't professionals that are MMA managers. There's some great MMA managers out there, but they're few and far between. But the vast majority of managers, they don't follow the business of sport close enough to even know – what's going on at that level, and even understand how it could possibly impact them. But we should also mention, Jason, there is a report that's out there that Sherry Redstone, the the daughter of Sumner Redstone, she has floated the idea of recombining CBS and Viacom into one corporate conglomerate. At one point in time, Viacom and CBS were the same company. They were split off into two separate companies. But now she's talking about possibly bringing them back together. And that would mean that Spike TV and CBS would be directly in the same family. Scott Coker has been on CBS before. There could be negative consequences with new management there. But conversely, it could actually go the exact opposite way as well, where Bellator could be in an even better position than they were before. That could potentially be an opening for us to see Bellator yeah. on CBS. I'm not saying it's even close to happening. It's just something that's, uh, you know, the companies aren't even combined yet, and they may never be. It's just something that's been floated out there. And even if they are uh, combined into one again, uh, it, it's, Bellator would still have a long way to go before they could get themselves on CBS. But if the companies do combine, that, you know, that definitely does open the door for Scott Coker to at least get some meetings. Yeah, yeah, it, and that would be. I mean, you, you talk that'd be a, a potential game breaker for Bellator if they could end up getting on CBS. But you know, obviously, if you're, uh, you know, Kevin Kay and the Spike TV executives, you want Bellator on Spike. You do, but if you're Scott Coker, <laughs> you you want to get as much exposure uh, for your product because you know potentially get having being able to do four shows a year on CBS that could actually help your presence on Spike. Yeah, it's uh, definitely something that uh, everyone should be following on, on the business side of MMA. Next up from this comes from Ian Bain, who's at Ian Bain MMA. 
He says, thoughts on the racist comments from Mike Perry's corner. Sorry, I'm still a show behind if addressed. And we did not address this, and uh, it's uh, Alex Nicholson, who was in his corner, did come out with an apology. And one of the interesting things is, you know, they've already booked Mike Perry for another fight. Mike Perry did not make any friends. Uh, you know, and, and look, and, and obviously you're, when you're in a fight game, you know, look, this is about helping yourself. But I, I think more the, 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 the answer to this question is, is what is the UFC going to do about it? I'm surprised they haven't done anything yet. They have released fighters with, you know, racist tattoos on their body or guys, you know, they've signed guys and it came out, you know, right after signing that they had affiliation with some, you know, ra- you know racist groups in the past. And, you know, Alex Nicholson, that's great that he apologized, but he still said what he said. And I don't, why would you say something like that? Why in this day and age would you do that? I mean, you, you, do you have hate in your heart towards another man just based on his race? I think that's ridiculous. UFC has penalized fighters in the past for things of that nature. And I think they should penalize Alex Nicholson. You know, I hate to ask for a guy to lose his job, but those are some really ridiculous, negative, hateful comments to make. And I, I think he should pay for it for this job. I don't think he deserves to be on the UFC roster if he's going to behave himself. I mean, this isn't something that happened, you know, on Twitter or outside the UFC. It happened during a UFC event, a nationally televised UFC event. Why he hasn't been cut already is beyond me. You know, if, if they cut him now, it's going to be because of public reaction. You can't cut and discipline people just based on the way the public reacts and public uh, negativity. You have a responsibility as a leader in this industry to do the right thing regardless of whether it gets you negative attention or not. Yeah, next up uh, from Adam Martin, which is at MM Adam Martin. He says, thoughts on the ultimate fighter being spoiled and the repercussions that could be faced. Now, you know, Sam, I was I was in between meetings today, and I happened to see a tweet from uh, Dan Stupp, who, who runs MMA Junkie, about, uh, you know, there is someone on, on social media who had thrown it out there. Um, you know, and I thought Dan had a, had a really uh, spot-on point about this, is, hey, if you want to go out and do this, that's your own business. But, you know, hey, you're not going to make the UFC happy. You're not going to make Fox happy. Now, personally, if if I found out who won the Ultimate Fighter 24, which for those people who may not be aware, the Ultimate Fighter 24 premieres this week on FS1 on Wednesday night, August the 31st. The entire tournament is going to be during the taping of the show, which concluded, I believe, a week or two ago. The winner of this tournament will fight Demetrius Johnson for the UFC flyweight title at the live finale. I'm not going to mention who, you know, the report out there of, of the name of the fighter. But one of the things that I thought of in, in thinking about this situation, Sam, is there's a very limited amount of people that would know the result of this tournament. You know, you know, obviously the fighters that were there, um, the production staff, anyone who has maybe had access to this footage, you know, there's a very limited amount of people and if you're the UFC, first off, it, it, you know I'm sure that whether it's Dave Schaller or someone above Dave Schaller in the UFC has probably already contacted this person that put it out there. You know, is you know because you know the UFC is probably going to start questioning. They're going to call every one of those fighters and say, "Are you talking about what's going on?" Because I'm not sure about the past couple of seasons, but I know in previous seasons of the Ultimate Fighter, there was a five million dollar penalty about, you know, revealing results of the show before it airs. And, you know, this is, you know, obviously if you're the reporter, 
you can pretty much con- consider that uh, if you ever hope to getting uh, credentialed by the UFC, that's never going to happen again. Yeah, you're, and you're dead to the UFC. And, and also, you're... as a reporter, I, I don't. What is the benefits of doing this? Because you're going to burn so many bridges. Well, yeah, you're not only dead to the UFC, but you're dead to any company that has positive relations with the UFC. That's a ma- major media player. I mean, MMA fighting, MMA junkie, bloody. I mean. Uh, bloody elbow because it's owned by vox media they can't touch this guy no i mean you think of any i mean you know look i, I you know look i i think i have a very good relationship with the ufc i, I can email dave schaller and, and i can get a response or i can you know email other members of the pr staff there if i have a question about something they're always very quick and look and i have a very good relationship with fox you know look if i went out there and reported that you could pretty much guarantee that my good the, the relationships i have built over years they would be dead immediately Ultimately, though, and I'm not saying it should be overlooked and there shouldn't be any type of punitive measure taken, but ultimately, though, I don't think it's going to impact the ratings that much, if at all, because the reality is that over time, the ratings for Tough have eroded as it's become a little bit of a stale format, as that's typical of most reality shows. You know, over time, they, they start the, the novelty starts to, to fade and... Let's face it, you know, the Ultimate Fighter is not a major ratings juggernaut, not the juggernaut that it used to be. So I think the impact of this on, on a negative basis will be marginal at best. That being said, though, you know, the UFC spends a lot of money in producing the show, and Fox has made a tremendous investment in, in that programming. And I think it's irresponsible and ridiculous that this guy would go out there and, and try to ruin that for the promotions, but also, you know, ruin it for the fans. You know, I, I listen yeah, to a point. lot. I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of them are movie related. And every time they get into something that's spoiler specific, they give out a spoiler alert. The last thing that they want to do is alienate their audiences from themselves. There's some people they want to hear the spoilers. There's a lot of people that don't. They want to be surprised when they turn on the TV, when they walk into a movie theater. And this guy ruined the surprise for a lot of people. And I just, like you mentioned, Jason, there's really no upside to it. There, there, there really isn't because when you reveal the winner, to tough, it's usually a guy, typically, that the mainstream audience doesn't know anyway. So you're throwing out a name that they're, they're not even really going to talk about, but the promotion's sure going to take notice of what you've just done. So this guy, you know, he's a moron. He's an absolute moron. Yeah, I mean, you know, th- there's something I want to mention. You know, a lot of people like to rail on the Ultimate Fighter ratings. And, and this is – and look, and I follow ratings closely. And, the you know, while – you know, when you compare it to what the show did on Spike, yes, it's nowhere what it was on Spike. But I think people have to understand, for the time slide it is on in FS1, it's a hit for FS1. Because, you know, you know they're going to draw three, four 400,000, whatever it is, for the live showing of it. Fox is not able to put anything on FS1 unless it's like play-by-play of something that's going to garner any type of ratings near that. So for FS1, it is a good it's a good show for them because it's bringing 300, you know, 400,000 viewers to the product that let's be honest about it, if it was just some, you know, regular show they had on there, they're not drawing that kind of number. Correct. You know, and, and I think that's the part that, that people kind of forget. I mean, um, you know, there's a great website out there, sportstvratings.com. Go check them out and go look at FS1's ratings on a daily basis. You know, when, when it's not live play-by-play action, you know what the best shows are? UFC-related content and NASCAR-related content. 
that or that is the key to their success. And obviously, um, you know, they're they're trying to go to a, a more uh, opinionated shows. Obviously, uh, the Skip Bayless and, and Shannon Sharp uh, show is going to be starting up. And I, I've never that's pers- going to be a train wreck. That's going to be a train. Personally, I've, I've never been a big fan of, of Skip Bayless. I just I've never been a big fan of Shannon Sharp either. Two guys that I'm not a fan of. Great. Yeah, you know, it'll be interesting to see whether that dynamic can work there or not. And of course, and I know a lot of people kind of point this out. It's amazing. Skip Bayless all of a sudden very pro UFC. I wonder why that is. Yeah, gee. I think we all know why that is. Uh, <laughs> final question that we got here uh, on this edition of the MMA Insiders podcast comes from uh, John Barnes at Joe Barr. 68, he goes, what do you think the main event for UFC 205 will be? It's only 10-plus weeks away, Connor versus Alvarez. Uh, you know, Sam, I, I think that all indications are, you know, I think we're going to see Connor McGregor, Eddie Alvarez. Obviously, if Connor's ready to go for UFC 205, obviously, you know, had a little foot injury there uh, at, at UFC 202. I mean, and we've talked about this on this podcast for a couple weeks. Uh, the UFC doesn't have a lot of options. For for UFC 205, there's a, this talk of kind of uh, almost like a, a middleweight title eliminator type fights with, with four different fighters, uh, potentially you know uh, Rockle, Weidman, Jacare, and, and Romero cool. uh, with those four guys. But uh, you know the UFC doesn't have a lot of options, and if Conor McGregor can't go for UFC 205, I'm really not sure what they do. It's not going to be Ronda Rousey. We know that. Yeah, you know. The question has got to be: She's got some weight to cut. Do we see Ronda Rousey in the first quarter of 2017 in the UFC cage? You know, Dana White wants to make it happen, but the, <laughs> the real question is: Does Ronda Rousey want that? I, you know, and that's the question: Is is you know when you know is she ready to go into a full camp? And and you know, the more I think about it, I just do you give Ronda Rousey a tune-up fight? I would, but they won't. Yeah, I mean, that's what I would think. I, I would give her a tune-up fight before she gets in there with Amanda Nunez. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think they're going to throw her right into a title matchup. And, you know, everyone's always talked about the long, you know how many more fights does Ronda have left in her. And it makes you wonder, if I said the over-under number is two more fights for Ronda Rousey in her MMA career, which way are you going? Under. The fact that she didn't come right back into the gym after Misha won the title for Holly Holm, that was a major tell to me. That said a lot. I, I think that that the fact that she didn't come back, I think a lot of people have overlooked that and haven't made it up uh, to be as big of a story as it was at the time. And, uh, you know, Sam, there's, there's one more thing I want to mention before we get out of here. And, and we've talked about the Alternative Combat Sports Commission that's out there. It's called... <laughs> The Association of Combative Sports Commissions. Now, they had their first Horrible meeting. name, by the way. Back in the beginning of July in, uh, in New Orleans. And, you know, I, I happened to find out some information about this. And their board was elected during this first meeting. And the first thing that jumped out to me was the two guys that you hear about when it comes to this alternative you know, national sports commission is Tim and Bernie, Tim of Missouri and Bernie of Ohio, and neither one of them are on the board of governors for this commission. That made me go, hmm. I don't want to steal your thunder, but the explanation that you offered off the air, Jason, I think that's the only logical explanation as to why a situation like this would go down. Yeah, it makes you wonder, are they not on this board? Because if it fails, it doesn't look bad on them. I mean, the president's Matt Roberson. 
Um, you know, he is the executive director, and I'm, I would butcher this name. Uh, the Nilly Lacks Band of Oh, I'm not even going to try to say it because I would butcher it. The vice president is Susan Collard, who is the administrator of the Combative Sports Program for the Department of Licensing for Washington State. The secretary is Joe Miller of the Oklahoma Athletic State Commission, and the treasurer is Mike Snyder, the vice chairman of the Wichita Tribe Sports Commission. So I, I knew Washington State and Oklahoma were showing their support for this, but it, it just it jumped out to me that Tim and Bernie were not a part of this. Just it, it, it just jumped out to me and you know look I don't I don't think this alternative commission is, is going to go anywhere. Um, I like some of the things I'm hearing what the ABC, uh, you know, under the direction of Mike Mazzulli, wants to do going forward. So it, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. By the way, we should note, uh, very interesting that Bellator is going back to Memphis, Sam, without Rampage Jackson. It's not always easy to get Rampage in the cage. And, you know, when Rampage is ready to fight, he's ready to fight. And when he's not, he's not. I'm sure Bellator would have liked to have had him for that show. But if he's not available to them, he's not available. Yeah, and of course that's going to be headlined by Alexander Shomenko, Kendall Grove, and uh, you know Bellator did announce that Mike Mazzulli, the director of the Mohegan Tribe Athletic Department of Regulations, is going to be handling the drug testing for this event, and there will be pre-fight drug testing. Of course, we all know what happened with Alexander Shomenko with his situation with the California State Athletic Commission last Great year. Great move by Bellator, by the way, to, to bring Mike in and have him do the testing. Yeah, I mean, I think that it, I do get the sense that Bellator understands that they've got to change the perception, you know, and, and, and I like what I'm hearing you know, what Bellator is doing. And, and I think it's, uh, by the way, speaking of Bellator, uh, November 4th will be, with, you know, I'm hearing that's the date they're going back to Mohegan, um, you know, for a car. They always do. Mohegan's one of their staples. I mean, you, you look at really the staples of Bellator, San Jose, Mohegan, St. Louis. Those are really the, the no. three staples uh, for that organization. Because, I mean, look, they, they do well in, in all three of those markets. Obviously, uh, the Northeast market does, you know, there's a lot of great you know ticket sellers there. Obviously, uh, you know, Bellator working with Jesse Finney and Shamrock FC there, who, who puts on a ton of shows. And, of course, uh, in their home there in San Jose. So, uh, another jam-packed edition of, of the podcast, Sam. We got the uh, the fancy the MMA Insiders Fantasy League coming up. Uh, do we do we have a couple of spots open still? We do, and I'm going to hit up Twitter in the next day or so, and you're going to find out how you could join the MMA Insiders Fantasy Podcast League. Draft is this Sunday night, so if you got plans for Sunday night and can't do the draft, then uh, please do not uh, respond to our uh, request to join the league. I guess I better start uh, looking up the rest of the league. That would help. That would help do some research up. But I, I look, I'm in the same boat with you too. It's uh, <laughs> so I'm going to look at a magazine or some kind of cheat sheet online, and that's going to be how I draft. Yeah, if you ask, you know, outside I me, mean, like I saw Teddy Bridgewater out for the season for the Vikings today. Uh, but you, you ask me outside of what's going on with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I, I don't know much. I I know what's going on with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but that's about it. I think you should draft. Um, man, who I'm trying, can't, I'm trying to who, think of someone a, that's suspended who, or injured. Who, you know, I will tell you, Josh Gordon. He's going to be suspended the first four games this year. And Is he? I thought he's. I thought he's. No, back. he's still got four more games. He had, he had a touchdown last week. He looked good. Um, you know, and uh, that's going to be a guy that it was. I, I I believe I saw a stat last week when I was doing the, the prep for the game, Sam. 
He has been suspended 31 <laughs> of the last 36 games for the Browns. Uh, it's crazy. I, I, what, I do think you should uh, draft Martavius Bryant. That's the guy. <laughs> and Johnny Manziel. Oh, man. And Tony but Romo. Maybe Tim Tebow, you know? Maybe this baseball thing's not going to work out for fantasy him. Ba- no, when we do fantasy baseball next spring, you should draft him then. Don't draft him this uh, <laughs> this week. You can draft him for baseball. That'll be a great move for you. Yeah, but uh, by the way, this is uh, I will tell you this, Sam. This is one of my favorite weekends of the year. The start of college football. I don't, are you a big college football guy? I am. I am. Uh, no, I'm not. Just kidding with you. Uh, but there are a lot of people that are big college football fans, uh, big business. Um, well, I, I think I know where you're going with this, Jason. I'm going to let you uh, – I think I know where you're going. Oh, I wasn't going anywhere with it. I was just asking you. <laughs> well, the World Series of Fighting, they're scheduling a show for Kansas oh, City. Oh, yeah. yeah. On I, what date? October 7th. It's, uh, you know, obviously during college football. I believe that's a Friday night. But uh, obviously there's college football on Friday night as well. Yeah, um, you know, it's when you do fights in Kansas City, if the if the University of Missouri is playing, you can forget about anyone coming out to your show. Even if the game's during the day and your show's at night and we I have to go back and see. You mentioned it's on Friday, not a Saturday. I have to see when University of Missouri's playing. But uh that's a good call if they went Friday, because if they went Saturday and Mizzou played during the day, basically even you know whether people went to the University of Missouri or not, everyone in Kansas City they 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 watch the game, whether they're there at the stadium or at a bar drinking. And by the time the night comes, everyone is done. You can't welcome, promote, welcome to a college town, <laughs> right? It, it's a college football town. Uh, you know, even though they have an NFL team, it's a big college football area. And if you're a promoter, and I've learned this the hard way, you cannot go uh, promote a show the day of a University of Mizzou uh, football game. You can't do it. Yeah, I believe you talked about that in the past, but it's actually the interesting part about that card is it's uh, going to be a 11 p.m. Eastern time main card start. It's going to be a three-hour, six-fight main card. So I'm sure there's, uh, there's some people. You can't people do that in the Midwest. You can't do that in a town like Kansas City. Everything closes early in Kansas City. It's not like New York, Las Vegas, or L.A. where people are out all night. That's not how the Midwest is. It's it's unless you're in Chicago, but that's not the Midwest lifestyle. And to start an athletic event at 11 p.m. that's going to not probably end until sometime after two, that is suicide. Yeah, I think the key for the World Series of Fighting for that event, they they've got to find those, those ticket sellers in the Kansas City market. Um, you know that that can put can put butts in the seats. I mean, they're they're going to have two title fights on the card also. Uh, Sean Jordan's going to be making uh, his WSOF debut against uh, Ashley Gooch, who they, who they recently signed. Also, uh, Howard and, and Ermaga Madoff been out of that fight card. And, you know, what, the interesting thing about the World Series of Fighting is this is a, an organization that they kind of really t- scale back the amount of events they're doing. Yes, and, you know, wisely so. Yeah, I mean, I think that the World Series of Fighting has made some really smart decisions in, in 2016. It's It's been very kind of... They've been very quiet, you know, um, and I think one of the best decisions they've ever made is, you know, teaming up with these local promoters that, you know, helps them out and, and getting the right ticket sellers. And you know that, you know, as good as anybody else in this business. They've condensed their schedule a little bit, and I think that's helped them. But, Jason, I still question about their long-term prospects. Where – what's the end game? Where are they going? What are they building to? And I don't see that. I, you know, I, I we talk about sometimes how Bellator isn't, you know, getting the endemic market that excited about their product. But 
you look at World Series of Fighting, they're not doing anything. I don't, you know, when, when I look at my, I guess the biggest thing when I wonder about the World Series of Fighting from a business aspect is how can you pay Justin Gaethje, Marlon Moraes, David Branch, the kind of salaries you are paying for them and even come remotely, I mean, you can't even break even on those deals, Sam. They're they're operating. They must be operating at a loss, and you know their number their number one revenue stream right now probably is investor funding, yeah. and that funding. Look, I, you know I've said it before that investor funding pipeline only lasts so long. Eventually, investors, rich people, you know they they have a lot of money to spend, but they want to see a return on their investment sooner rather than later. But you know this has gone on. This cash bleed. This hemorrhaging has gone on way longer than I ever thought it would. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I mean, I think a lot of us, you know, we're, we're kind of wondering where the World Series of Fighting get this point. Of course, they've, they've got that New Year's Eve card they're doing uh, in New York City, which uh, my understanding is it is an afternoon card that they're doing there uh, in New York City on, on New Year's Eve. So we'll see how well they do there. Of course, you've got college football, the, the national semifinal games. Yeah, Sam, on Monday night, no one should even con- – you know, call me whatnot. I'll be, I'll be in, I'll either be in Orlando at the FSU Ole Miss game, or I'll be on my couch watching that game. Uh, big Florida State fan, so uh, I, I th- this is honestly one of my favorite weekends. It's uh, it's interesting. You're a Florida State guy. Uh, you know that, that one of the big stars of the first season of Last Chance U was that John Franklin, and he's he's at Auburn, Auburn now, man. That that kid is a crazy athlete, and he's not starting at Auburn either. He's going to get playing time, though. He, he's too much of a weapon for him not to be incorporated into that offense. Yeah, and also Clint Trickett, who, uh, was a, who is a coach there at, uh, I think it's Eastern Mississippi, uh, junior college, yeah. it's called. Yeah. Uh, he, he, you know, he, was, uh, he started his career at, at FSU, obviously went to West Virginia. His dad's the offensive line coach at FSU. But, yeah, that, I mean, I'm always looking for great net Netflix shows. I, Sam, literally, I binge-watched that show in two days. So did I. That's that's. Cra- I mean, that show was. It's, it's crazy. And I, it was, I was really. It was yes, so it addicting. Was. It was. If you have Netflix, you have to watch that. Even if you're not a football fan or a college football fan, it's such a very entertaining show. And I'm really happy they're coming back with a second season. I can't wait to see it. I mean, to me, one of the things I, I enjoyed most about that was the interaction between the academic advisor and the players. I'm not trying oh, to yeah. give away what's go- what happens in it. Yeah. But to me, that was, she was a star of that documentary. She is. She is. She, uh, compared to Buddy Stevens, comes off very well. Buddy Stevens, I don't think, comes off well at all. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so, yeah, but that that is definitely uh, – I'm just I'm just about to finish up with season two of Bloodline, so I'm I'm looking for a new uh, get into that show. I tried to. Uh, it, it took it took me a couple episodes for me to get into it, uh, but yeah, I'm like halfway through season two. I'm all, I'm always looking for shows on Netflix because I I have a cable subscription, but I rarely watch cable. <laughs> I mean, unless it's live sporting events, Sam. I don't yeah. watch much. So, but yeah, if you if you have a Netflix uh you know suggestion. Hit me up on Twitter, at Jason underscore Floyd. Hit that same up as well, at Sam yeah. Kaplan MMA. Of course, you can always listen to this show on our iTunes feed, Stitcher. Just search the MMA Insiders. Of course, the show is also available uh, on RadioInfluence.com, SoundCloud, TuneIn, MMAInsidersPodcast.com, the MMAReport.com. Uh, so tons of places for you to uh, listen to the show and uh, do us a favor. You listen to the show on, on iTunes. Uh, rate and review a show and let your friends know that you enjoy listening to this show. We are always looking to grow this podcast. So, Sam, man, as always, uh, we'll talk again next week, man. Talk to you then. Follow Jason Floyd and Sam Kaplan on Twitter. Find them at Jason underscore Floyd and 
at Sam Kaplan MMA. This is the MMA Insiders Podcast on Radio Influence.